Hi, I'm Ella Sean, reluctant romance writer and host of Enchanted Beast Podcast. Welcome to the Enchanted Forest. Okay, Google, why is it easier to ask you for help than it is to ask other people? I found this on the web. Seven effective ways to ask for help and get it. Psychology Today. That is not what I asked you for, Google. I want to know why it's so hard for me to ask people for help. Oh, we'll talk about it. Good evening, Enchanted Beast. How are you? I am super excited to be here bringing you this particular podcast episode. Um, I spent a lot of time writing it, um, just kind of writing notes and getting my thoughts together about it. Um, So I'm going to dive right in because this episode, I just, I don't know. It, it was a trip that I was not prepared for. I did not pack the right clothing. I didn't have the right shoes. Like I was not prepared for this trip at all. So anywho, I'm really addicted to my Google Assistant, right? It's so easy for me to just, okay, Google, and then I get whatever answers I need to whatever questions I may have. Um, I mean, and I know my daughter has an iPhone and she's forever calling on Siri. And we have Fire Stick um, for our TV. And so it's real easy to use the voice remote control and say, Alexa, can you? So it's just crazy how comfortable we are asking all of these automated systems for help, right? You know, who has the best sushi near me? What movie theater is the cheapest? Where can I find the least expensive gas prices? And it's not even a big deal. We just go to these sources because they're so quick and easy. Um, yeah, pretty much any question that pops into my head and and I'm curious about it. I feel 100% comfortable um, going to my Google Assistant and and asking, you know, whatever I, I, I want to ask. And I was thinking one day, what the hell did I do before Google? What did any of us do before we could ask our smart devices for help? Right? How did you find out about a good sell? How did you find out what movie was so, you know, so good everybody had to go see it? How did you find out about the new restaurants that came into your your neighborhood? How did you get this information? Uh, you called a friend. You saw someone on the street and struck up a conversation because you liked something that they had. 
or you see someone coming from the theater and you say hey what movie did you just see I'm still trying to decide I can't figure out which one I'm in the mood for right you had normal conversations with everyday people and you ask them to assist you you ask them for help and if it was other stuff that you needed to know technical stuff then you you went to the library right and you you did the research and you pulled it up and then you you learned it right but case in point you had face-to-face -face interaction with something you were intimately interacting with someone or something and you know sometimes I think I don't like maybe I never ask for help I don't know I don't really remember asking for help before before I had my Google assistant right maybe I did I don't know but I'll tell you what I do remember about asking for help I remember how hard it was to even bring myself to ask for help now why was it so hard to ask the people in my life people I saw every day people you know that were family members friends why was it so difficult to ask them for help when I really needed it if I really needed it see that's the question that led me on this trip and had me packing the wrong suitcase because it's so loaded Ella, what's so hard about asking for help when you really need it of the people in your life? Why can't you just call somebody and say, hey, I, I need some help with da, da 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 What is your problem? Why can't you do that? So I, I thought, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to tackle that. Because yes, my Google Assistant has made me dependent on getting quick information fast in a hurry. But when I started thinking about connecting with people in my community, people in my family, people in my friendship circle, and actually reaching out to them and asking these simple questions. Hey, what's the best restaurant you've been to in the last couple of weeks? Like something in me withered and I said, oh, wait, wait, that's something I need to maybe explore. So I kind of broke it down into three loaded questions that I wanted to consider as I really think about why I'm so comfortable asking automated devices to assist me but I I have you know a difficult time I, it causes me physical anxiety to actually have to ask another human being for assistance so uh, my loaded question number one what expectations did I have 
of people if I ask them for help? Loaded question number two, who or what taught me to expect those things when asking for help? And loaded question number three, what does it really mean to ask for help when you need it? And I'm telling you, I'm looking over my questions that I jotted down and I thought, you know, I'm thinking now, these questions are so esoteric. They really, they're so vague. They don't really mean much. But I'm going to attempt to tackle them within the hour and, and see what I come up with. So I, I looked at, you know, LQ1, my expectations of others when I ask for help. And, you know, I'm thinking, okay, what is an expectation? Because we say these words, like I, that's another thing I've become very aware of. Like we use words because we use them. They're so hackneyed and they're so much a part of our working vocabulary. We use them, but we don't necessarily take time to consider what they actually mean in the context of, of how we use them, right? So I, I said, okay, let's, what is an expectation? It is a belief in something, right? It is a belief that something will happen or be the case in the future. So what is it that I believed would happen when I asked people for help? What is it that I believed would be the case in the future when I asked people for help. And then I thought, well, when I say help, what do I mean? Because most people, when they say, I don't wanna ask anyone for help, they always go to money. I don't wanna ask anyone for money. People associate help with financial assistance all the time. I don't wanna to go to anybody for help. I don't wanna to have to owe anybody money. Right? So he says, what is help? To give assistance, support to, to make um, more pleasant, to improve or relieve. I said, okay. So what is it that I believed would happen if I asked people to support me? Oh, God, that led down a whole rabbit hole that Alice herself wouldn't be able to get out of. What is it that I thought would happen if I ask people to support me? What is it that I think will happen if I ask people to support me? Okay, my belief in a predicted outcome from people I ask to support me was a negative one. 
is a negative one. And I'm still like internalizing these feelings to, to a certain extent that if I go to someone and says, hey, would you support me in, in this endeavor? Would you be willing to assist me with this project? My first expectation of that person is for them to say, no, I'm not interested, right? And so if I, if I further break this down, this whole concept of, of expecting a negative reply when I'm asking for support of people, um, then I, I have to deal with what I call problematic words. You know, I find myself coming to perhaps the root of the issue when seeking help. Okay, side note, this is a walk through crazy, my crazy brain, because it's how I process stuff. Um, and so, you know, I accept that most people when asked to improve my situation, you know, are going to to say no i i accept that that's a truth like in my mind that is an absolute truth that you know most people i ask to improve my situation will say no that's an absolute truth for me now here's Here's the kicker, and I'll get to this in more detail when I, I go to loaded question two, but knowing, you know, I, I can't just move on without trying to figure out why this is such an issue for me. And it's such an issue because honestly, as a child, I witnessed my mom ask for help so much. She asked for support. She asked for assistance. She asked for someone to, you know, assist her in improving her situation. And I saw it so much. And then I saw the way they looked at her and I saw the way people treated her. And I saw and heard the negative and derogatory comments. And I promised myself, as a kid, I would never be in a position where I needed to ask anyone to support me, to assist me, to help me improve my situation. Like, I hated seeing my mom in situations where improvements were not optional, they were like mandatory, right? Like, she would be in situations that an improvement was not an optional thing. It wasn't like, you know, oh, let's paint the house because we don't like the color anymore. No, let's tear the house down and rebuild a new one because the house isn't inhabitable anymore. That kind of situations, those types of situations. And so there is a look of neediness that I saw growing up as a child 
It looks broken and weak and deprived, less than, not enough, lacking. I equated, I still to some extent equate asking for help, asking for support, asking for assistance. I still equate to some extent that process with a state of, of being less than, being decadent or in decay. Being associated with those words, I hated that. The look of lacking that seemed to lurk around and within my mother's eyes, I said no. No, I refuse to be the one on the receiving end. You know, of lengthy lectures and belittling tones, we getting tired of having to come and take care of you and your kids. Why ain't you smart enough with your whatever it was that was lacking? It was so humiliating. You know, watching the woman I adored, the woman I thought was amazing, right? To be treated like less than the beautiful, brilliant woman she was. I could not understand. And every time she asked for help, that's the treatment she received. And I was so dismayed by it, right? So it, it made me want to honestly, simultaneously throttle anyone who, who dare spoke to my mom in that way. And it made me want to tell her to go and get her ish together because I know you can do more than you're doing. So it was a weird situation as a child growing up. So I, it's a loaded question, so I'm gonna unload it, right? I accept negative, hurtful, and condescending reactions from anyone in response to my request for help as a true fact. My expectations are, were, are still, right? based on past experiences as seen through my childhood eyes. The eyes of a protective, ignorant, embarrassed child, a daughter. I associated needing help, support, improved situations as a weakness and lacking state of being. And watching my mom repeatedly ask family and friends and agencies and every other person for support and then be belittled and ridiculed left me with feelings of insecurity stemming from an emotional state of inferiority. And that's crazy. 
Because all of this comes from me watching my mom ask for help when she needed it, when she really, really needed it. I was left with feelings of insecurity and in an emotional state of inferiority. I avoid, avoided, and refused, refused to ask anybody for help in order to avoid dealing with my own insecurities and my inferiority issues, right? Here's my takeaway. The only way to overcome my emotional state of inferiority is to recognize everyone has needs and everyone needs support. And there is room for improvement in every situation. And asking for help is not a weakness. It is a sharing of my vulnerability, which is a strength. That, that's my takeaway from my loaded question number one. Um, what are my expectations? Loaded question number two. Who or what you know, showed you that what you expected was what you're going to get? And I've already spoken to it, right? I watched my mom go through this. You know, I alluded previously that watching my mom ask for help from her family specifically and then other people well that yeah those those experiences are my first teachers but you know don't get me wrong that perspective that understanding came from a child's mind as i said i was a child who, you know, unconditionally loved and supported my mother. I was protective of her in a way that I think most children are protective of their, their parents. You know, I, I saw how much she struggled daily to provide basic needs for her three children and herself. You know? I, I saw how she struggled to recognize when she was getting in over her head and then how deflated she was when she realized she could not see her way out of it. You know, and it wasn't until I got older as a child, like maybe in middle school, that I realized that my mom was sick and she really did need help she really does need help she really does need support my mom suffers with bipolar disorder and I had no idea as a child that she was dealing with this mental illness but as I got older it you know it was made aware I became aware of it And I was like, wow, okay, I get it, I get it to a certain degree, you know, and as I, as I got older, I, I couldn't really lay blame 
at my family anymore. Because the older I got, the more independent I got, the more competent I became in my young adulthood even, then the more my mom began to ask me for help constantly. The more she needed me to support her and improve her situation. I was the adult and she was the child. And I felt as if age brings wisdom. Where was her wisdom? And it led me to, to kind of break wisdom down, right? Because wisdom is the soundness of action and decision with regards to the application of experience, knowledge, and good judgment. It is basically, I am going to make intelligent choices, choices that make sense. I'm going to behave in a logical way based on what I've experienced, on what I've learned, and on my ability to, to judge a situation. So I was no longer able to point an accusatory finger at my family um, or at other people or at other entities or agencies um, for treating my mother the way they did. Not when I wanted to treat her the exact same way. Right? I mean, I'm a lot of things, but I am not a hypocrite. Okay? So, so my family didn't teach me that asking for help is a weakness and means I'm less than or not as good as or not good enough. Wait a minute. Okay, Google. Who taught me that asking for help made me weak and an inferior human being. So when I, when I okay Googled this question, hoping she could help me figure it out, hoping she would have a different answer than the one flashing in my mind, she said, here are some pictures that might help. The pictures did not help y'all. I don't even know what she was talking about, but I'm gonna share a little bit of the pictures that she, she gave to me. <laughs> uh, picture one had a little saying, you can be right or you can be happy. I believe that's Dr. Phil. Another picture said 10 ways to be a better person. I said, okay. Another picture, patience is not the ability to wait, but how you act while you are waiting. I'm like, girl, what are you talking about? This is not helping me. And the fourth pic, before I just decided to stop procrastinating, says, who sees whites and blacks as equally hardworking? And I thought, well, that's not even what I said. I, 
so okay anywho I spent some time looking you know at the pictures hoping they would distract me from from what my heart mind and and my soul were already telling me I know I didn't have to ask Google for help I knew exactly who taught me that asking for help was you know a sign of weakness and it, it made you an inferior person my mother taught me that my mom taught me that asking for help made me a weak inferior human there I said it but I didn't want to I know I'm always going on about you know speaking my truth and how my beast you know demands that I I, I get, you know, get whatever it is that I need to get off my chest, off my chest. And, you know, she's always my beast. For those of you who've not listened to season one, I, my enchanted beast, I see her as a wolf. She is my divine self, and I call her Lilith. She is always going on and on and on about you give whoever it was to drag their shit on your carpet a time and a day to come and clean it up. And I'm like, I know. Even my mama. And trust me, I have. But it doesn't make it any easier to acknowledge the fact that my mother's actions caused me to be in a negative and destructive emotional state of inferiority, right? We don't call our mothers out on their shit ever. That's just not what we do. That is not what we do. Honor thy mother and father that thy days might be long, right, right? So I was just like, no, I can't say my mama messed me up, but she did. She did. We do, we do if we don't want to repeat the cycle of crazy. We call them out on it if we don't want to repeat the cycle of crazy. We do when we are claiming our space and cleaning our carpets and we come to a spot that we can't clean because it doesn't belong to us. We do when we are ready to be responsible for our own actions. Yes, the hell we do call our mothers out when they've left their shit on our carpet. Now you want to know, how did I come to this conclusion? Let me unpack loaded question number two for you. Stay with me. It gets really good, I promise. Number one, soundness of action and decisions. As an adult dealing with my mother in the same way I saw my family and other people having to deal with her, I realized her actions were not sound. Her choices didn't make sense at all. Now, yes, I know, I am aware. I've already said my mom has bipolar disorder. My mom has been receiving treatment for her bipolar disorder 
for as long as I can remember. So yes, I know I've said this. However, I am still holding to, she did not make good decisions. They, did, they didn't make any sense. And I don't wanna say good or bad because those are arbitrary, but her choices, her decisions, her actions, they were not logical, right? Application. My mother never seemed able to apply lessons or concepts to her situations, never seemed to learn or grow or adapt in any way. Now, I'm a writer and I write characters. If my main character were based on my mom, my book would suck. I'll tell you why. Because the main character has to be round, has to be dynamic. My mom is static and flat. What does that mean? Okay. A static character does not change or grow throughout the plot of the text. They pretty much stay the same all the way through. There's no depth. That's why they're called flat. There's nothing to them. What you see is what you get and you know it's never going to change. Readers want to read a character that's rounded, right? They wanna read a character that they have to walk around to see the behind of, right? They want to read a character that has layers and layers and layers and layers. They just, so they can just keep tunneling and finding all the good stuff on the inside. They want a character that not only changes throughout the plot, but their actions change the plot. My mom doesn't do that. She's not able to apply what she's learned. She's not able to apply different concepts. She's not able to apply anything. So she just keeps doing the same thing over and over and over again, and she never changes. It's always, always, always the same. Experiences. With experience comes growth in rational people. Out of every experience with my mom, it was the same one. Different day, different outfit, right? Same result. And then it dawned on me. Every time something would happen and, and my mother would say, hey, I need, I need help. I need you to help me with this. I need you to help me with that. Yada, yada, yada. And, and then, you know, before she would get to the part about asking me for help, then she would always go way back when to when she was a little girl and how her family treated her as a child and how, you know, things were like this and things were like that. That's when she's in her depressed stage. She would go all the way back. But if she was feeling, you know, invincible and she was asking me for help, then she would talk about what's going to happen and how this is going to be and yada, yada, yada. And I realized that she was never present. 
She was never present in our conversations. And talking with her was like talking to a photograph. One that over the years began to fade and lose its color. And it, it became more and more difficult to make out who was in the photograph or where the photograph was taken. That's how my mom's conversations were. It's like talking to a photograph or looking in a telescope out into space, seeing what will never, ever, ever be reached because they're light years away, but still having a glimpse of it, right? And I, I thought, if you're not able to focus on what is happening in your life at this moment, there is no way you are going to be able to learn from what's happening in your life at this moment. And if you're not able to learn from what's happening in your life, from this moment, you can't apply that knowledge, right? To your choices or to your actions. And, and my mind was kind of blown. And then I thought about knowledge. It is the opposite of ignorance. Ignorance is, of course, when you don't know something. And it's fine to be ignorant. That's the thing. It's okay to be ignorant. We don't all know everything about everything. Hell, I don't know a lot about most things. And in my ignorance, I celebrate my curiosity, my need to know, right? So yay for all the ignorant people out here who don't know anything, and yet they are curious and they want to know, right? That's okay. But to know, right, to know something, at least to know that you need to know something and still continue on the same path or to know something and refuse to apply it, then you have tripped over into the land of stupid. And that's a word I rarely use because I just think it's so harsh. And again, I grew up hearing my mother being called this all the time. But in reality, it is stupid to have access to knowledge and not take advantage of it and not use it. You know? And then it dawned on me. I said, if she's always focusing on the past, right? If I focus 100% of my attention to the past and the future, and I'm never, ever, ever focusing on what's in front of me, I'm never focused on the present time, then How am I supposed to know who I am in this moment, in 
each moment? How am I to know myself when I am not being present with myself? To not know who who I am to not be aware of what I am, right? The inability to pay attention and process information important is a basic concept of being disconnected. When you are not able to process information important to the understanding of basic concepts that affect you from moment to moment, then you are 100% disconnected. And disconnected from what, Ella? From yourself. You are disconnected from yourself because your focus is on a person who no longer exists or a person that may never exist. So you have disconnected from who you are. So how are you supposed to learn? How are you supposed to take this knowledge of self into experiences and then learn and grow from those experiences and then apply that knowledge to how you make decisions and what you do? You can't. Good judgment or discernment requires a connection between the understanding of the physical and the spiritual self. And oh my lanta, this messed me up, okay? Because I'm processing this and I'm thinking, if you don't spend time with yourself in the present, if you're looking back at a self that no longer exists or you're looking forward to a self that may not ever exist and you spend absolutely no time with yourself in the present, how are you supposed to be able to connect your physical self with your, your spiritual self? I mean, there has to be a balance, right? There has to be a conversation, a symbiosity between who you are physically and what you are spiritually. And so if, if I'm going back to my chakras, my third eye controls my ability to discern and, and make good judgments and, and all that stuff. If my third eye is blocked and not spinning, which means if I'm not in constant conversation with my spiritual self, there's no way I'm going to be able to make sound choices and, and sound decisions. And oh my God, do you see the circle? We started off with soundness of action and decision. Right? And then we, we moved into application, experience, knowledge, 
and good judgment or discernment. However, it starts with good judgment. We could do it the other way around. We could say good judgment and discernment is where it starts. That third eye needs to be open and balanced and spinning, right? That chakra needs to be there so that you're able to make good judgments and decisions so that you maintain knowledge of self in every moment you are present and maintain knowledge of self as you go through the experiences of this physical life that you're living and you grow and you learn, right? And then you're able to apply what you've learned through experiences and with self-knowledge to what you do and the choices you make. Shut up. I really didn't. I was like, oh my God, this is a whole circle. This wisdom that that my mom seemed to be lacking. And not just my mom. I'm sure it's a bajillion people out here who you all could say, oh, yep, there she goes. That's so-and-so. I know a guy who does that. Yep, blah, blah, blah. Because the truth is, we are all kind of on this, site, this circle, this continuum. We're missing something. It's this wisdom. So asking for help. Hmm. Here's my takeaway. Asking others for help makes you weak and lacking only in the sense that you lack self-knowledge and the ability to discern what's best for you because you don't trust the divine beast within to know what you need, right? Asking for help weakens your ability to rely on yourself, on your divine nature, and your beast, right? And here's the kicker. Without your beast, you are weak and lacking. Without being 100% connected to your divine self, you are weak and lacking. Ooh, hold on. I was not expecting to get that when I started working on this podcast. I'm not even going to front. I wasn't expecting that. I thought this was going to be something light and frou-frou. Wow. Loaded question three. What does it really mean to ask for help when you need it? Okay. Of all the loaded questions, this is the most daunting one to tackle. No wonder it's last. Okay, and I just realized I'm always trying to distract myself from dealing with my own stuff. Gosh. All right. What does it really mean to need help? Loaded question three. The two words that make this question so difficult for me to deal with is really mean and not because I'm going to go off on some bullying tangent right no that's not it but when I say really mean like 
seriously. What does it mean? When you say, I need help, what do you mean by that? Right? So far, I've managed to contradict my original premises. <laughs> you know? But to be fair, I have at least differentiated between my two understandings. At first, I understood that asking for help made me weak. Right? And... It meant I was lacking and inferior. But that was from a child's perspective, a child who wanted to protect her mom, a child who, um, who was embarrassed by, by the situation that her mom was in. And my second understanding um, is from more of my young adult, early adult life. Um, when I started my own family and my career, you know, I needed to support myself. And I was beginning my life, okay? And I was beginning to acknowledge my own wisdom, my own divinity. Um, and I have no idea what understanding I'm going to get from, from LQ3, right? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to it. Because no guts, no glory, balls to the walls, all that shit. We're gonna, I'm going to dig in. When do I really need help? That's hard to answer. Because honestly, I don't ever really allow myself to admit I need help. I decided the moment I was old enough to like realize my mom's constant need for support was not normal or healthy, I said, no, I'm not going to be that woman. I'm not going to be somebody with my hands out. I'm not going to be someone with that look, right? That look of, of wanting. Um, no, I said, it's not going to be me. So if it was something that I did want and I didn't have, or something that I needed and I didn't have, or something I didn't know how to do, but I needed to get it done, then I figured out a way to make it happen. Or I went without it. You know? I'm like, if I don't know how to do something, I'll research it and figure it out before I ask anybody for help. I mean, I, I wrote my first book, Alms Brisset, and I wanted a specific cover for it. And I checked around and the prices for a book cover was crazy. Now, my brother's a graphic designer by trade, right? That's what he went to college for. And I could have called him and said, hey, can you work this up for me? But I was like, okay, I don't know. The first thing about making a book cover, I don't even know how to use any of the Adobe stuff that people use, but I went to YouTube and I figured it out and I made my book cover. And I must say, it's quite stunning, right? Because I'm not asking anyone for help. So I, I went through most of my life, I still apply this to my life, refusing to acknowledge that I need help, even when I really, really need help. I think my need to dissociate or disassociate my adult self from 
you know, my pitiful, needy, lacking child self. It made me work harder. It makes me work harder. It made me want to be smarter, so I study more. Um, it makes me want to know as much about everything as possible. Because honestly, I don't need anyone's help. And, and that makes me strong. And my strength meant I was not following in my mom's weak, lacking footsteps. And that was hard. That was really hard for me. Because even though I've evolved and I, I have come to a lot of different understandings, I am still, in a lot of ways, constantly having to, to fight that initial, it's going to make you look weak if you ask for help. So back to my book cover. I did do my entire book cover by myself. But I sent it off to my brother and said, take a look at this, tell me what you think, and give me some feedback and how I can make it better. Or if you can touch it up, that's fine. So I'm, I'm able to ask for help now without feeling as if it makes me weak or lacking. But initially, it's still kind of that, mm, right? So I remember when I was a freshman in college and um, I read for um, for my English 101 class, I read Ralph Waldo Emerson, um, Self-Reliance and other essays, but it was Self-Reliance that kind of did me in, right? We studied transcendentalism and, you know, this philosophy that says, basically, divinity or godliness lives in and through all humanity and nature. And there is no need to rely on anyone outside of self and nature because God resides in both. And I was like, holy shit. I was already kind of moving away from, from my Christian upbringing by this time. And I was moving towards this kind of, I am more than people have told me I was, right? So this kind of confirmed and bolstered um, my my beliefs and so um you know i i dug into emerson and i am still an emersonian fan and i am still you know um a firm believer in in my divinity thus the enchanted beast podcast and i you know it's it just it speaks to me right so i pulled a few quotes because why not um, one of a couple of my favorite quotes from self-reliance and I'm sharing this with you because honestly they all changed my life they all put things into perspective for me and they allowed me to move past a lot of junk right so if, if I have to go back to my life is a white carpet analogy and we're responsible for our own messes and other people are responsible for messes that they drop into your life, right? So if I go back to that, then I can say that Emerson's quotes, right? This self-reliance essay is like an all-purpose stain remover. Like it doesn't matter who has stained your carpet, these, this, this essay will get it out. 
right? <laughs> that's how I look at Emerson. That's how I look at self-reliance. That's how I look at any of his essays. So I'm going to share a few of the quotes that actually helped me get some stains that I put in my carpet out and some stains that were left by other people out. Um, the first is listen to that inward voice and bravely obey that. Do the things at which you are great, not what you were never meant for. And I was like, damn, why does that make sense? Right? Inside of me, I know what I want to do. I need to listen to what is coming from me. I need to do what I can do, not what other people tell me I could or should do, right? Um, nothing can bring you peace but yourself. Oh my God, I was like, Ralph, talk to me, baby, because the truth is so clear. I am the only one who can bring myself a sense of peace. I'm not going to find peace in anyone, anything outside of me. Which brings me to my favorite quote, and I think this is probably going to be my next tattoo. Um, it's Latin. Nite quesiveris extra. Do not seek for things outside of yourself. There is nothing outside of myself that can help me more than what resides in me. And I was like, wow, that makes sense, <laughs> right? Especially for someone who does not want to have to go outside of herself to ask for help. Um, there is no time to them. There is simply the rose. It is perfect in every moment of its existence. He was talking about how Nature does not worry about the time. It doesn't worry about day or night. It doesn't worry about what's happening next week or what happened yesterday. It simply exists in its moment. And in its moment, it is perfect. And we are to do the same. I can be completely aware of myself in this moment. And in that moment, I am perfect because I'm not lamenting about what happened yesterday. I'm not carrying yesterday with me and I'm not projecting and worrying about what happens tomorrow because I'm not there. I am perfect in this moment, just like that rose. And I thought, yeah. Here's another one of my favorite quotes. God will not have his work made manifest by cowards. Yep, that was a theatrical pause. I'm going to come back to that. So, those are some of my favorite quotes. Some of my favorite quotes. Um, I found a reason through, through my study of transcendentalism, and, and then that led me into the study of Taoism and Buddhism and, and, um, and then spiritualism and all this other stuff. Um, which led me to my chakras. But I found a reason for my emotion, something to substantiate 
you know, my need for independence and my need to, to do what is right for me. Um, and, and that was very simple. I really don't ever need to ask anyone for help. Not really. But what happens when I do? What happens when I do need help? When I really need help? Hmm. Here's the situation. Early October 2000, I gave birth to my first child via emergency C-section. And I was at home in a lot of pain. Um, and with a bad bout of baby blues. And I still refused to ask for help until I couldn't, right? Until I was bawling in my bed, holding my tiny five-day-old baby girl, pouring tears into her open mouth. with my boob hanging out as I screamed for my paternal grandmother who was in the last stages of Alzheimer's. Really, I needed help. <laughs> I really needed help. 30 minutes later, my mother took my baby from me and, and placed her in my husband's arms. I had no idea where she came from. She wasn't there. and shoot him from our bedroom. I have no idea what she did. I remember her vanilla cinnamon scent kind of wafting around me, wafting around me. I remember her large work-worn hands against my naked back and, you know, her, her deep mama's cum. And it saturated every cell in my body, that hum, that mm hum. I honestly have never learned how to ask for help. I didn't ask for help when I needed it. I didn't ask for anything. I lost my shit, definitely. But I didn't ask for help because I refused to, even in that moment, I didn't ask for help. Here's a quote from Emerson. Welcome evermore to gods and men is the self-helping man. For him, all doors are flung wide. For him, all tongues greet. All honors, crown. All eyes follow with desire. Our love goes out to him and embraces him because he didn't need it. I never asked my mom to help me with my baby. 
I never asked my mom to help me prepare for any of it. I never asked anybody for any help any time I've ever received it. I've never asked for it. And I still hold fast to this Emersonian view of transcendentalism. Nite Quasiveris Extra. I will not look outside of myself for anything. But some things had to change, right? I mean, my, my approach, my understanding had to change because I'm not stagnant, okay? I'm not that stagnant person. I'm dynamic. I'm ever-changing. Time to unpack this loaded question. No guts, no glory, balls to the walls, and all that shit. I discovered I'm always willing to give what I'm passionate about all of me. Even parts of me I'm not well acquainted with. I'm giving them away if I'm passionate about it. This willingness to go all in allows me to seek what I need only inside myself. Allows me to ask myself first, second, and last, right? I believe, I believed, past tense, I believed my mother was weak and lacking because I had no understanding of how her strength presented itself. I don't know how strong and brave and beautiful and enchanting she is. I didn't know. I really didn't know how how strong my mom was, how strong she is. She fights every day to be happy. She fights every day against a disease that we can't see. She works hard to be independent and self-sufficient. She struggles with making decisions and struggles to behave in a way that is logical and conducive to her, her sanity. But she does it. She fights for her sanity every day. I had no idea how strong my mom was, not until I was able to see her strength as it presents itself. Now, let me state this clearly. Is it aggravating and irritating and does it make me want to pull my eyes out when I know she's going to ask me a bunch of crazy st stuff? Yeah, it does. And I handle my mom, I deal with my mom the way I deal with life. I'm honest. And I tell her, if you're not adding, then you're taking away and I have nothing to give you. Not in that regard. So. I love you, it's what I tell my mom, 
I love you. But I love me more. And it's not even a but. I love you and I love me more. So I have to protect me. And you need to learn to protect you. Right? My adoption and practice of this transcendental philosophy led me away from Christianity. And it led me, pushed me, pulled me, um, floated me towards seeking my higher self, my higher truth, not a higher truth or self, right? But mine. This philosophy freed me to acknowledge the duality of my nature and how parts of my nature were designed to, in fact, be weak and lacking. And that freaking blew my mind. That there's a duality in my nature. I am both woman and divine. And that, yes, there are parts of my nature that are designed to be weak and lacking. God will not have his work made manifest by cowards. The understanding of my weaker nature, my human nature, gave me insight into what and how the universe designed my two natures to work together, not fight against each other. My fearful human nature alone cannot make manifest the work that she, she, the universe, has for me to do. My selfish, powerful, willful, divine, and beastly nature lacks the physicality and the humanity to fully carry out my purpose. Not one, but two, and then one. I'm going to say that again. I am not one, but two, and then one. I really do need help. I really do need help. But I don't have to seek outside of myself for that help. My humanity and my beast, they need each other. They need to learn how to comment, excuse me, connect, to depend on, to trust in, and interpret each other's weaknesses, their strengths, interpret the fears and desires. There is a reason. I never learned how to ask other people for help. There's a reason I was never comfortable going outside of myself for help. There is a reason I don't call on a friend when I need something. I am capable of helping my damn self. <laughs> if I can imagine it, I can bring it into being. I can have anything I'm willing to work hard for. I am a creator. There are no doors closed to me. I am a beast, an enchanted, magical, gifted, alluring, charming, divine 
ethereal, powerful beast. And because I am a beast, I am also a beautiful, elegant, austere, sensual, tumultuous woman. Now, here's my takeaway, my final takeaway. There is nothing wrong with asking for help. It does not make you weak. It does not make you inferior. It does not mean you are lacking. There is nothing wrong with needing help, with needing support, assistance with needing to improve your situation. Nothing at all wrong with that. Nite quesiveris extra. Seek nothing outside of yourself. Ask your beast for help. It's why she's there. It is why she is with us. Doesn't make you weak. Doesn't even make you vulnerable. It makes you a whole person. A person with dual natures. makes you a beastly woman, an enchanted beast. Thanks for joining me in this enchanted forest I like to play in. Until next time, be brave, be beautiful, be enchanting. I'm Ella. Goodbye. This has been Ella Sean with Enchanted Beast Podcast. Thank you for joining and remember to stay enchanted. <laughs>